The 2020 Election and the Fog of War Have the Democrats rigged the system in their favor? I used to be a true blue loyalist. My grandmother, an FDR Democrat and lifelong social worker, kept a signed picture of Bill Clinton on her kitchen wall until the day she died. My earliest memory kicks it all the way back to 1988, when I wore a Dukakis button to work and was mocked for it. Who would vote for Dutaxis, one woman said. Things were different then. Ronald Reagan's two terms were up, and his Veep, H.W. Bush, was riding on his coattails and would hold the presidency for their third term. That is extremely rare in American politics, but Reagan's influence was strong, and Dukakis was weak. I got online in 1994, way before the Great Migration. Around 2000, civilization began, moving its culture, corporations, institutions, social relationships, communications, shopping, dating, porn, and entertainment online. Because the left got there first, the internet was our domain. That meant when Obama's star began to rise and he used Twitter as his base camp for his movement, Eventually, much of American society writ large would be sucked into the bubble of the new woke order, the new America. I always believed in the party. I thought I was fighting on the right side. And though I still value many of the policies the Democrats traditionally care about, by the end of 2020, I would abandon many decades of voting blue no matter who. For the past three years, I've been trying to understand what we've just lived through what I've just lived through, and what our country has become. Enough time has passed, and I think I have a clear picture of the big mess that was 2020. We'll never get the whole truth, of course. We're getting it all piecemeal. The Durham Report, the hoax of the century, the Columbia Journalism Review's beatdown of legacy media, and their obsession with Trump and the Twitter files, all point to deep corruption that goes all the way up to the top. Yes, even President Obama... Hillary Clinton, Joe Biden, the FBI, and their complicit media. The election wasn't so much stolen from Trump as it was a fail-safe plan to keep him and his voters out of the America we now believed belonged to us. But the problem was America never did. We have to share it with the other half of the country. Elected leaders should remain in the hands of the American people and know not by majority but by the rights of individual states via the Electoral College because New York and California can't rule this country, even if that's exactly where we find ourselves today. Molly Hemingway's book Rigged is a much more thorough accounting of everything that happened with the election, and it's well worth the read. I want to look at it from a slightly different perspective, as someone who comes from the left and understands the other America outside of it. Motive. V for Vendetta. Lee Smith calls the ongoing Get Trump sabotage campaign the permanent coup. It didn't start with Hillary, it started with Obama. Trump's accusations that Obama was not born in the United States and therefore should be disqualified from running for re-election in 2012 was an affront that Obama and his entire coalition would never forget. Obama would exact revenge on Trump for the next decade. The two locked horns at the correspondence dinner when Obama mocked Trump publicly. There's a vicious rumor floating around that I think could really hurt Mitt Romney. I heard he passed universal health care when he was governor of Massachusetts. <laughs> Someone should get to the bottom of that. And I know just the guy to do it, Donald Trump. 
is here tonight. Now I know that he's taken some flack lately, but no one is happier, no one is prouder to put this birth certificate matter to rest than the Donald. And that's because he can finally get back to focusing on the issues that matter. Like, did we fake the moon landing? What really happened in Roswell? And where are Biggie and Tupac? All kidding aside, obviously we all know about your credentials and breadth of experience. Um, for example, uh, no, seriously, just recently in an episode of Celebrity Apprentice, at the steakhouse, the men's cooking team uh, did not impress the judges from Omaha Steaks. And there was a lot of blame to go around, but you, Mr. Trump, recognized that the real problem was a lack of leadership. And so ultimately, you didn't blame Little John or Meatloaf. You fired Gary Busey. And these are the kind of decisions that would keep me up at night. Well handled, sir. Well handled. Say what you will about uh, Mr. Trump. He certainly would bring some change to the White House. Obama probably thought he had done away with Trump at the correspondence dinner. Trump was now a joke to the new America under Obama, and he could never recover from that. But the moment Trump challenged Obama, who had reached godlike status in our new America... It would plant the seed that half the country was full of white rage, holdovers from the Civil War, angry that a black man had won the presidency and was taking power away from the white man. The difference between the left and right in terms of what is considered racist and what isn't is a stark divide. A poll from a few years ago in the Washington Post revealed that white liberals talked down to people of color and white conservatives did not. The hysteria over racism would spread like a virus throughout college campuses and even public high schools. It would start to be the divider between us and them, the new America and the old America. Inclusive, diverse, progressive America versus angry, white rage America. Both Obama and Hillary were humiliated by Trump's win and would enact emotional blackmail going forward. They began pointing fingers, James Comey's announcement that they were investigating Hillary's emails, Putin's sabotage, Bernie Sanders dividing the party, were all named culprits for the greatest crime ever perpetrated on the Republic. And of course, the media. If they had not obsessed on Hillary's emails for an entire year, she would have won. For podcast listeners, a picture of a coffee cup with butter emails on it and The Handmaid's Tale. All would be made to pay by 2020, with the media becoming a full-blown propaganda arm for the state, refusing to cover any negative stories that would hurt Democrats. James Comey and the FBI would shift into protect Democrats, target Trump and MAGA. 
which would include psyops like the Gretchen Whitmer kidnapping and likely January 6th. Bernie Sanders would end his revolution and is now yet another cog in the machine that the Democratic Party has become. But they were digging in the wrong place. Hillary was always a long shot for the win. That's what history tells us. Had Joe Biden been Obama's chosen successor like H.W. Bush was for Ronald Reagan, he might have been able to surf the wave of a popular president. Hillary had nothing to sell and no charisma to sell it. This was supposed to be Obama's third term, but lacking that high wattage charm, her campaign had no leverage. Worse, like Biden, she had baggage. The Trump campaign used that baggage to dampen the vote in a few key swing states. They didn't have to bring in more voters for Trump. They just needed less voters for her. They used Facebook to target three groups that would most likely be convinced it wasn't worth showing up on Election Day, especially since the press kept telling us she had it in the bag by 90%. They used Facebook's powerful ad machine to target black men, Super Predator, Young Feminist, Bill Clinton's Me Too mess, and Bernie supporters, the rigged primary. The Hillary team was offered Facebook's help too, but declined, falsely believing they would win in a landslide. Everyone said Hillary should have gone to Wisconsin. I don't think so. She, like Biden, had nothing to sell except not Trump. But Facebook might have given her a way to scare her own voters to the polls. Their strategy, which many overlooked, including me, is explained here by Steve Bannon at a Tea Party rally 10 years ago. I tell you, a lot of people are saying they're frustrated with the election, with our candidates, and they're saying they're not going to vote and that their vote doesn't count. What do you say to people like that? It's absolutely critical. The whole, this whole thing came down, I gave my shortened speech because the rain was about, this all is going to come down to a ground game. This is all going to come down to voter turnout. This is going to come out in places like Florida, North Carolina, Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, Colorado. A handful of states and about five million people will determine the direction of the country. It is absolutely incumbent upon all of us that we have just as much hard work and just as much determination as we had in 2010. Remember, with no money and no support in 2010, the Tea Party won a huge victory. And that was all because people got off the sofa, went to a rally, found their neighbors, went to Facebook, got on Twitter, went to these sites, used social media with no money at all. We totally disintermediated, which is a fancy term for saying we moved the political parties out of the way and, they, and, and people took control of their own destinies. That has to happen. If you think if you're frustrated, this is not going to happen in one election. We're in a literally a 10 or 20 year struggle for the future of the country. And that's where you're just going to have to man up, toughen up, just like our forefathers, right? We're going to have to do exactly the kind of effort they had, and we can win. Understanding the how and why of the 2020 election is one thing. Understanding the bigger picture is entirely another. Means, the hoax of the century. In March of 2020, McKay Coppins warned of a billion-dollar war chest with the headline, The 2020 election will be a war of disinformation, writing, quote, The Trump campaign is planning to spend more than $1 billion, and it will be aided by a vast coalition of partisan media, outside political groups, and enterprising freelance operatives. These pro-Trump forces are poised to wage what could be the most extensive disinformation campaign in U.S. history. Whether or not it succeeds in re-electing the president, the wreckage it leaves behind could be irreparable, end quote. Ironically, this describes exactly what the Democrats and their well-funded cabal did to win in 2020. Coppin's piece in The Atlantic lays out the supposedly dis or misinformation 
that led to Hillary's loss and talks about the strategy aimed at the three key groups, black men, young feminists, Bernie supporters. But the trick in the column suggests that this wasn't true. It was true. It was just inflammatory and negative to Clinton. The humiliation of defeat for the Obama coalition at the hands of Hillary Clinton would build what Jacob Siegel called the hoax of the century, the idea that disinformation was so widespread only government intervention could stop it. Now the fears of artificial intelligence are exposing the cracks in the machine that is the beating heart of new America. High-tech surveillance, as Rand Paul warns. Jacob Siegel in Tablet wrote, Disinformation is both the name of the crime and the means to covering it up, a weapon that doubles as a disguise. I think that's an apt way of looking at disinformation. It's a tool for those who want to limit speech, but it also doubles as a disguise and a means of covering up what they're actually trying to do. The purpose, so they claimed, was to combat foreign malign influence. But in reality, the government wasn't suppressing foreign misinformation or disinformation. It was working to censor domestic speech by Americans. Since 2020, the federal government has awarded over 500 contracts and grants related to misinformation or disinformation. George Orwell would be proud. While the grant awardees and their proprietary AI and machine learning technologies differ, their goals are consistent. To mine the internet, identify conversations indicative of harmful narratives, track those threats and develop countermeasures before messages go viral. One National Science Foundation-funded company's mission statement claims that social media is being manipulated and ideas are being spread uncontrollably online. The solution it provides? An automatic controversy detection algorithm to help identify things that are potentially opinion-shifting in order to make communication more productive and less dangerous. In other words, censorship. During the COVID-19 pandemic, we witnessed accelerated use of artificial intelligence technologies to monitor and suppress public debate on issues like natural immunity, masks, and the origin of the virus. Multiple federal agencies, including DOD and the State Department, funded automated disinformation detection technologies designed to monitor and suppress public debate on issues like vaccine and the origins of COVID-19. Writer Jacob Siegel, in a fantastic yet haunting narrative explaining the last decade of U.S. government domestic censorship efforts, said, disinformation now and for all time is whatever they say it is. That is not a sign that the concept is being misused or corrupted. It is the precise functioning of a totalitarian system. Make no mistake, the United States is engaging in the same activities we criticize other countries for. But unlike China and North Korea, the United States government attempts to conceal its involvement using private entities as front companies to do their dirty work. But make no mistake, the intent is the same. Control the narrative, eliminate dissent, and retain power. This should terrify all Americans. The government is using your hard-earned tax dollars to surveil and censor your protected speech. Artificial intelligence is only going to make it easier for the government to do this and harder to detect. This should not be a partisan issue. We must get to the bottom of how the federal government uses artificial intelligence to violate the privacy and civil liberties of the American people before it's too late. From Siegel's piece, quote, In his last days in office, President Barack Obama made the decision to set the country on a new course. 
On December 23, 2016, he signed into law the Countering Foreign Propaganda and Disinformation Act, which used the language of defending the homeland to launch an open-ended, offensive information war. Something in the looming specter of Donald Trump and the populist movements of 2016 reawakened sleeping monsters in the West. Disinformation, a half-forgotten relic of the Cold War, was newly spoken as an urgent existential threat. Russia was said to have exploited the vulnerabilities of the open internet to bypass U.S. strategic defenses by infiltrating private citizens' phones and laptops. The Kremlin's endgame was to colonize the minds of its target, a tactic cyber warfare specialists call cognitive hacking, end quote. Even though it was supposedly fear of Trump's billion-dollar war chest to spread disinformation that built the well-funded cabal, as bragged about in time, in the end, it was the Biden side that would vastly outspend the Trump campaign from open secrets, quote, The hotly contested presidential election, both sides called it the most important race in history, was the catalyst for an influx of donations. Biden's cash advantage over Trump helped him pepper swing states with far more campaign ads. Biden also received more help from super PACs and dark money groups. Trump's campaign raised $774 million. Trump raised over half of his money from small donors giving 200 or less, a stunning figure no other presidential candidate has matched. Trump continued raising money long after news outlets called the race for Biden, racking up campaign cash he could use to influence the future of the GOP. And boy, did they spend. For podcast listeners, a graphic showing Democrats heavily outspent GOP in 2020. $8.4 billion for Democrats compared to $5.3 billion for Republicans. And another graphic, Democrats dominate 2020 dark money. And another graphic that shows Joe Biden's $1 billion candidate committee money compared to 773 for Trump. Opportunity, the fog of war. The new America believed Trump's rise and win was an invasion of their country. That seemed to give them, Obama, Hillary Clinton, the FBI, and everyone else involved, the justification they needed to go to war on half the country and win it by any means necessary. The Time magazine piece gives it all away in chilling detail how the elites rigged the game against the working class. Everything they admit to doing, no matter how colorful the writing, benefits the Democratic Party against the opposition party. Never before in the history of this country have we had this level of fascist-like takeover of our laws, our institutions, and our corporations. For them, COVID was their opportunity to upend voting rules in various swing states and sow chaos and instability as Trump, an inexperienced politician, tried to manage the once-in-a-generation pandemic. Now they could crash the economy, which was Trump's major selling point for his second term, by forcing and enforcing lockdowns, shutting people inside and locking down schools, restaurants and businesses faltered, a blanket of fear and paranoia descended. Probably Joe Biden would have won the election fairly if things had stopped there, but they didn't. A major shift occurred in the summer of 2020. An unintended consequence the well-funded cabal, the FBI, the Obama-Clinton-Biden coalition did not see coming. As part of their vast conspiracy that touched every aspect of the election, they amplified and funded the protests in the summer. There was just one problem. They had no idea what kind of Pandora's box they were about to unleash. 
for podcast listeners a graphic, two women charged an attack on Wisconsin State Senator. Tim Carpenter said he was punched and kicked after he recorded video of demonstrators at a protest in the Capitol. It's been nearly three weeks since Milwaukee Democrat Tim Carpenter was assaulted by protesters. As they say in football, I, I had my bell rung, so I had a light concussion and, you know, dizziness, that type of thing. It all started when he was walking to the state capitol around midnight to do some work when he saw the protesters and pulled out his phone to take this video. I had no idea I had walked into a hornet's nest. And then all of a sudden, two women, white women, start coming towards me. And three seconds to uh, react. The hornet's nest he walked into outside the state capitol turned out to be a violent night of tearing down statues and breaking windows. In the Madison police incident report, Carpenter described being, quote, sucker punched and then fell to the ground and was battered by several people. A witness told police, quote, approximately 10 people punched and kicked the politician while he was on the ground. Video shows Carpenter later collapsing near the Capitol. There were eight to ten people, probably at least five or six uh, punches. And then when I went to the ground, then people started kicking. But are you thinking, am I going to die here? I didn't think the outcome because I hadn't been beaten up before. Carpenter has been a Milwaukee state law. Who are these people, so many wondered? Where did they come from? Some of them were legitimate Black Lives Matter protesters. But a good many of them were part of the Evergreen College Generation, a group of radical activists birthed from the loins of Tumblr and helicopter parents who were setting up autonomous zones, driving through the suburbs, demanding residents give their land back. They were forcing people to raise their fists to Black Lives Matter. They were threatening their friends and family that if they didn't also do something to pledge their allegiance, they would cut them off. Julie Kelly has written an extensive account of everything that happened that summer that our Justice Department completely ignored. Quote, Chaos continued throughout the summer, with the president, his family, and White House staff under constant threat. Police arrested 11 people at Lafayette Square in July 2020 for various offenses, including assault of a police officer. The Tuesday night incidents that stretched over hours are the latest confrontations to transpire near the White House, where protesters have been gathering daily for more than a month to protest for racial justice after the killing of George Floyd in the custody of Minneapolis police, the Washington Post reported on July 8, 2020. After Trump accepted the GOP nomination for president on White House grounds in August 2020, rioters chased Republican lawmakers, including Senator Rand Paul and his wife, leaving the event. Some assaulted police in an attempt to get near members of Congress. Rep. Brian Mast, who lost both legs and a finger in Afghanistan, was surrounded and shouted down by Black Lives Matter protesters as he tried to get home, end quote. When Trump gave a speech in August of 2020 at Mount Rushmore, it was the first time I'd heard any elected official address what all of us were living through and no one was talking about. 1776 represented the culmination of thousands of years of Western civilization and the triumph of not only spirit, but of wisdom, philosophy, and reason. And yet, as we meet here tonight, there is a growing danger that threatens every blessing our ancestors fought so hard for, struggled, they bled, to secure. Our nation is witnessing a merciless campaign to wipe out our history, defame our heroes, erase our values, 
and indoctrinate our children. Angry mobs are trying to tear down statues of our founders, deface our most sacred memorials, and unleash a wave of violent crime in our cities. Many of these people have no idea why they're doing this, but some know exactly what they are doing. They think the American people are weak and soft and submissive. But no, the American people are strong and proud, and they will not allow our country and all of its values, history, and culture to be taken from them. One of their political weapons is cancel culture, driving people from their jobs, shaming dissenters, and demanding total submission from anyone who disagrees. This is the very definition of totalitarianism, and it is completely alien to our culture and to our values, and it has absolutely no place in the United States of America. This attack on our liberty, our magnificent liberty, must be stopped, and it will be stopped very quickly. We will expose this dangerous movement, protect our nation's children, end this radical assault, and preserve our beloved American way of life. In our schools, our newsrooms, even our corporate boardrooms. There is a new far-left fascism that demands absolute allegiance. If you do not speak its language, perform its rituals, recite its mantras, and follow its commandments, then you will be censored, banished, blacklisted, persecuted, and punished. It's not going to happen to us. Make no mistake, this left-wing cultural revolution is designed to overthrow the American Revolution. In so doing, they would destroy the very civilization that rescued billions from poverty, disease, violence, and hunger, and that lifted humanity to new heights of achievement, discovery, and progress. To make this possible, they are determined to tear down every statue, symbol, and memory of our national heritage. Even though the press did its best to gaslight us and hide the truth, Americans could see a bizarre new revolution had overtaken the left, and it was about to get into government. But it also meant that Trump had a new campaign pitch that worked. After surviving COVID, he did five rallies a day and made his case to the American people the way candidates are supposed to. They're not supposed to sit in a basement while the system wins the election for them. Trump was no longer making the case that his last four years were successful. Now, he was saying, vote for me to stop this madness. It was shifting public opinion, though that didn't mean the media would report it that way. 
This would be borne out by how the votes came down, with Trump winning Ohio, Iowa, and Florida, a trifecta that is almost impossible to win and still lose the presidency. The only exception was Richard Nixon in 1960, another election with questionable practices. Had the election been on election day, Trump would have sailed into a second term decisively, even with a crashed economy, even after COVID. But the election was over long before that. Thanks to the push for mail-in and early voters, most in the swing states had banked their votes before Trump could change their minds, which is why we have political campaigns at all. To make matters worse, they prepped the media for the Hunter Biden laptop story as Russian disinformation, and when the story arrived, Twitter and Facebook censored it. Now, of course, we know not only wasn't it disinformation, but it was the thread that unraveled an entire web of corruption by the Biden family not to mention the so-called war on disinformation. The Sidney Powell Kraken and subsequent big lie narratives were convenient distractions. But that's all they care about, right? Winning the narrative, not the truth. Never the truth. The aftermath. The Democrats, now the party of war, have fused their Trump hysteria with Putin hysteria. They have Ukraine flags in their bios and see the United States flag as a symbol of white supremacy. They are Ukraine, the resistance. Trump is Putin, the invader. Here is Matt Taibbi and Walter Kern on Russia and Russiagate. So the whole mass architecture of the war on terror that we built uh, in response to 9-11 um, remained built and continues expanding. And now uh, this story has helped it grow even bigger. And despite the fact, again, that a lie has been exposed, we're not going to pull back any of these new tools that we've built to poke and prod for, you know, disinformation, for connections to foreign interference, to whether or not you have a membership in the the disinformation ecosystem of Russia, um, to test your loyalties, uh, you know... Well, that's so, not going to go away. Yeah. It, 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 when a lie or a, 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 an untruth is revealed, you have two options that I can see. You either um, repent, uh, attempt to redeem yourself, attempt to correct yourself, or you roll out an even bigger lie, one that will eclipse the first one. One that will distract from the first one, will put the old one behind it. Um, and, you know, we now have a actual war with, with the country that was allegedly um, conspiring with Trump. A war which I would dare say we might not be so vigorously and, and uh, one-sidedly um, engaged in were it not for these years of hostility engendered by this story. I mean, in other words, you wonder what are the consequences of these stories? Well, one of the consequences is that we are absolutely hampered in our ability to negotiate with the Russians, having made them, you know, to be an even bigger evil than perhaps they are over years and years, and having absorbed the belief that in some way they dictate our domestic politics. Um, 
and that they have agents at the highest levels of our domestic politics. I mean, even though this was disproved in the case of Trump, it is still routine to accuse individuals in America and journalists like Matt Taibbi of being under Russian influence. I mean, just because the biggest case of it has turned out to be false doesn't has not curbed the enthusiasm of journalists for looking for Russians everywhere now. They've just, you know, gone sort of down market and and looked for them among Twitter users in Indiana and uh, other journalists and anyone and, and commentators who would dare say something askance about the great United States uh, at its, you know, at, at whatever point they might be questioning it. So even though Russian collusion with Trump has been now, I think, um, for anyone who's actually interested in the truth, debunked, to use their favorite word, it goes on as a method. It is the premier method for discrediting and uh, and slandering journalists, people, etc. And I think it will go on unabated. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even even when the Twitter files came out, and the Twitter files seemingly couldn't have less to do with Russia, although they, I guess it intersected a little bit because of Hamilton '68 and stuff like that. But really, no, um, it wasn't about. Russiagate, but you saw amazingly David Frum, uh, who was one of the inventors of the WMD lie, who was the author of the Axis of Evil uh, justification for going into um, into uh, Iraq. You know, he tweeted out uh, last month: the Twitter files were fake and Russiagate was real, um, and you know that's. That's going to well, be. He got two things wrong there. Um, well, two out of two ain't ain't bad for getting things wrong, right? But the, the, as you say, this is the method. You 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 if if you're on the wrong side of anything, you are you know sort of de facto on the side of the Russians. Um, even if it turns out later that you were right, I mean, like Devin Nunes, uh, yeah, I probably politically don't agree with Devin Nunes about a whole lot. Mm -hmm. Uh, but he wrote this memo in 2018, I guess it was, and which was the, basically the origin of this dorm report. He, he, he was the first person to really tie the Steele dossier to the Clinton campaign and to, uh, identify the fact that the FBI had, um, essentially, uh, faked the, the FISA process or had at least committed some violations and um in creating the predicate for further investigation uh first he was denounced as a russian agent through this fraudulent hamilton 68 uh, think tank that tied him to the release the memo hashtag uh then you had uh anchors you had people like john heileman on msnbc saying is it possible we have an active russian agent running the house intelligence committee uh when he released that memo then a an obama appointed inspector general comes out with a report that vindicates basically everything that he said a year later and nobody goes back and says oh 
yeah, we're we're sorry, you weren't actually a Russian agent. Um, his name is still radioactive. He's still considered, you know, not politically viable, and um, that's just the way we're going to deal with things. Like, you, it's it's this reflexive. Your loyalties are in question. Your allegiances are in question. Um, you're in bed with Putin or Assad or whoever it is. Uh, and you know we're, we're on Team America. We laughed at that stuff during the Bush years. That you know the South Park people made a movie about it. Biden's legacy might include wiping both Putin and Trump off the map, which would be for the Obama-Hillary coalition quite the victory. Not only will they be ruling over a new America, but perhaps now a new world. But unfortunately, elections have consequences. We've paid a price for installing Biden, who did nothing to win our votes with any kind of policy. He was the not-Trump guy who was going to stop racism. But after his botched Afghanistan exit, it destabilized the world. Now the United States is not regarded as the good guys internationally. Here is Glenn Greenwald. It's not the way Russia sees this war. It's not the way most countries see this war. As we demonstrated to you when we reported on Fiona Hill's remarkable speech, a pro, a rather an anti-Russia, anti-China hawk who has been deep in the bowels of the U.S. foreign policy establishment forever, standing up and telling the West, Western foreign policy elites, that, quote, the rest of the world which now is not the rest of the world, but is actually the rest of the world, a huge portion of the world assembling greater and greater power and coming together in a, in a more potent confederation than ever, does not see the war in Ukraine the way the United States and the West sees the war in Ukraine. They see the war in Ukraine as yet another attempt, rightly or wrongly, it's how they see it, by the United States and by the West to assert their dominion and hegemonic control everywhere, including all the way up to the Russian border. And while they don't necessarily support the Russian invasion of Ukraine, they certainly believe that the U.S. and the West provoked it. And that's Fiona Hill talking, not me. And there's tons of evidence to demonstrate that that's how major governments around the world see this war. But leaving aside that question of who's to blame or who's responsible, do you think that Russia, this country with this enormous history, filled with proud nationalists and the largest nuclear stockpile on the planet, is this going to sit by while Ukraine takes weapons provided by the West and kills their civilians inside Moscow by bombing them from the air? Is, does anyone think that Putin is going to just allow that to happen without reacting very, very aggressively? And the theory of escalated wars, of wars getting out of control, of how world wars start, is they always have a very limited beginning. That there's a border dispute between two countries, other allies side with each. Suddenly there's all kinds of tension escalating. All these other new grievances are aired. And the anger and hatred and hostility that war breeds in humans we need hatred to be pulsating through our veins to support wars because when we engage in war and favor it, we do the most unthinkable things to one another. After World War II and the bomb was dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, J. Robert Oppenheimer met with President Truman. 
He was distraught, telling Truman, I have blood on my hands. Truman, of course, was having none of it. He thought Oppenheimer was a big crybaby and ordered his staff never to agree to a meeting with him again. But minds like Oppenheimer's are rare. He knew what he'd done, even if in the fog of war, it seemed like the right thing to do. In the aftermath, he spent the rest of his life regretting it. Who will have blood on their hands once we make our way through this fog of war? When will there be overdue reckoning for what the Democrats did to Trump, to his supporters, to our country? Perhaps one day, when the fog dissipates, they too will hang their heads in shame. Flagstaff, Arizona, 9.39 a.m. I'm Tina. Thanks for listening to my podcast, On the Road, sashastone.substack.com. My apologies for getting this out so late, but traveling from town to town, hotel to hotel, it's not been easy to record and edit a podcast. Anyway, I hope you're having a great week, and remember, to thine own self be true. We kind of like to do things. But somehow We never Ever seem to do Nothing Completely Nice And easy You know why? We like to do it. I said we like to do it. Proud Mary.